Well, good morning. We are thankful each one is here with us this morning. We're thankful for you being here with us as we continue our series. We've been, this really will bring to a close, actually, our series on Colossians. We've been going through several of the, of the books, especially those by Paul, looking at them chapter by chapter, not necessarily verse by verse, but chapter by chapter, bringing out some lessons we can learn uh, from each chapter. And I've chosen here in Colossians 4 to look at the idea we find here of faithful friends or faithful friend, as we find here mentioned in verses 7 and following. How important is it to be faithful companions in the service of the Lord? It is good to have those who work alongside you in the workplace, in the secular world, as we call it sometimes, who are loyal, those who always show up for work unless there is some legitimate reason why. It's always good to have those you know when you go to work, they're going to be there working beside you, doing what they're supposed to be doing, and likewise. And we find here in Colossians chapter 4 the same idea as the Apostle Paul, as for the door read just a moment ago, mentioned several people who were faithful, who were involved in his work and how they were a comfort to him. And so this morning, I want to show the benefits of admiring, of admiring the qualities of good and faithful brethren. We first want to begin here by looking at this idea concerning those who are dependable and those who are beloved. And we find this in Colossians 4, verse 7 and following, as Paul talks about uh, these numerous individuals, not just uh, the first brother mentioned here in verse 7, but others as well as he goes through here. He talks about here first those who are also who are dependable, or we might call trustworthy. Dependable and trustworthy, we want to define those terms. Dependable is capable of being trusted and reliable. Trustworthy, worthy of confidence. Now I want you to think for a moment, in the workplace today, don't have to answer out loud, but how common is that? In the work world today, how common is it to find someone who is dependable, that is capable of being trusted and reliable, and trustworthy, that is worthy of confidence. Someone who you can say, do this, and you leave, you know they're going to do it. That's not so common today. But we find here, as Paul talks about this brother here in verse 7 and following, that he is one who was dependable. He is one who was trustworthy. And it is for that reason why he calls him a beloved brother there in verse 7. He says, A beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me there in verse 7. He depended upon him and trusted him to do what was asked of him. I don't necessarily think that he was being commanded by Paul, but he was working with Paul. No doubt Paul asked him to do certain things. Paul was, was in prison and needed those he, he could depend upon. And this brother, as we find here in verse 7, was one of those. He goes on to say here in verse 7, and you talk about this idea of this beloved brother, the word brother shows the family relationship of Christians. If you look at 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, it uses the term here, the idea of the family or the house of God. In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, again, Paul speaking, he says, If I am delayed, I write so that you may know how to, how to conduct yourself in the house of God. A house commonly has family in it, right? That's what we call it many times, a house or a home. What makes a house a home was the family. How you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the and ground of the truth. Well, we know numerous times throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament, we find how individuals who are followers of God are referred to as brethren. In the New Testament, Christ talks about how we will, we, we, will, we will be, if I can talk, sons and daughters of God. Thus, we are a family. 
That's why the that's why God many times is referred to as the Father. Christ is referred to as the sons, and Christians are referred to as sons and daughters, or sometimes we find just the word brethren, which includes both sons and daughters, not just sons, not just men. And so we find here in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, the church is God's family, is God's home, God's house, as we find here in verse 15. And this beloved brother, as we find there in Colossians 4, verse 7, had shown deep, loving concern for fellow Christians, and no doubt Paul as well. He had no doubt been a great helper to him. He must have had a deep love for his brethren. You know, Paul being in prison, I'm sure this brother we found here in verse 7, others who are mentioned here, this wasn't just the idea of making a phone call and saying, hey, what can I do for you today? Or stopping in in the comfy room and talking with him. During this time period in the first century, prisons were no joke. And so for for him to be able to be a helper to him, it would take, no doubt, a lot of effort. It would take time for messages to be be received and to be sent. And to be able to know what, what is asked of you next and what is needed to be done at one location or the next. And so it was going to be no doubt a great sacrifice, much more than what we might think about uh, today. We also find next this idea when we talk about those who are faithful friends. We find the idea of a, as being referenced here, a faithful minister and fellow servant is also used in verse 7 and following. We first want to notice this idea of a faithful minister. Minister means simply a servant. That's all that term means. And we know it is used a lot of times today and applied a lot of different ways, but quite simply it is used as the term uh, servant. Our purpose as being members of God's kingdom is to serve God. Christians are expected to serve God. We serve Him in obedience. We follow His will. We reach out to the lost. We help those who are in need, and on and on it goes. And in that way, we serve God. In that way, we are ministers of God in a correct biblical sense. But we know today when we say the word minister, people always apply it to someone who stands right here, right? But a minister is simply a servant. We know we find numerous times also those who are referred to as those who minister to Him. And Paul applies that to both to men and women. So again, being someone who just served him, a fellow worker, a fellow minister. And here, he used the idea of a faithful minister, which means he could be depended upon. The faithful servant also presents his body, as, as we know in Romans chapter 12, as a living sacrifice to God, the idea of there being obedient servants of God. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now what he's talking about here in context is the idea of serving God faithfully. You notice there in verse 1 he says, I beseech you or I encourage you, brethren. That's talking to who? People of the family of God, right? We just talked about that. Brethren being men and women who are faithful servants of God, those who we call today New Testament Christians. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And we're not talking about actually dying physically for Christ, but the idea there, it includes, no doubt, if we cost us our life, if we, be, if we have to remain faithful to God, if it cost us our life, what do we do? Well, we remain faithful to God. But in context, what is he talking about? He's talking about living your life every day in accordance to God's will, that living sacrifice. He says, which is holy, acceptable to God, which is, I notice here, he says, which is your reasonable service. Well, someone who provides a reasonable service, as we just saw a moment ago, can also be referred to as a minister, right? 
We minister to God. We serve God. We are ministers of God. He goes on to say in verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed or be changed by the renewing of your mind. Now, to be conformed to something is the idea that you mold yourself around it. If you, I've never done pottery, but I've seen it on YouTube and other places as well. And they'll mold things, they'll conform it sometimes around a certain object to get a certain shape. A lot of bakers will do that. They want a certain shape, they'll mold their icing or their cake, whatever it is, around some type of, of form. Well, we have, we have an idea we are to be formed to what? Well, he says, do not be conformed to this world. So that's not how we mold our lives. He says in verse 2 here, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is, we change our mind about who we're going to mold ourselves around. And we, who would we mold ourselves around? We mold ourselves around God's Word. And what we mean by that is we, we take the Word of God, we see what God requires of us, and we make sure that we fit that mold. You know, a mold is not designed to change, right? If you're on to make a certain design using a mold of some type, you don't try to make the mold change, do you? That defeats the purpose. No, what you're trying to adhere to it and take that shape is what changes. So from that reason, we're the ones that change. We don't try to push and move the Word of God and make it fit what we might want to fit in our lives. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove it is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You notice there are those three phrases he uses, or those three words he uses. What is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? Which means these things are prudent in the sight of God. What is the prudent in the sight of God? Us conforming or being transformed to God and His Word and not being conformed to the world. And we find in verse 1, which is our reasonable service. Next, we want to look at the faithful servant and what the faithful servant will do. The faithful servant will serve. Regardless of persecutions, if we look at 2 Timothy, verses 4, uh, chapter, 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, here again Paul speaking. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, it was a reference to when his life is over or a reference to the judgment day, right? Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness that is a reference to the reward for the faithful Christian. He says, With the Lord, the righteous judge, a reference to Christ, will give me on that day, a reference to the judgment day. That's why that word D is capitalized, the day, judgment day. And then he says, And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, we find here that those who are loved His appearing are those who are faithful Christians, right? Ungodly people, they don't love His appearing. His appearing is a reference to Christ coming the second coming. So He's talking about those who love the Lord who is coming again for judgment, right? And so those who love His appearing has to be a reference to Christians. It can't be a reference to the world because the world, when we say it, the world in this context, we mean those who are not Christians. They don't look to Christ. They don't love his appearing, or him who is appearing, that is Christ. He says there in verse 8, Will give to me on that day, and not to me only. Which means everyone who has fought the good fight, there in verse 7, who has finished the race, who have kept the faith, will, in verse 8, receive the crown that's laid up for them, right? That applies to every single person. And so the faithful servant will, re will remain faithful regardless of persecutions. And that's the idea we find here. He has fought the good fight, he has finished the race in the face of what? 
persecution. Keep in mind, where did Paul write most of his letters? From prison, right? He was placed in prison. That's where he wrote most of his letters that we have recorded for us today. We also find that a faithful servant will, will, will serve in the face of temptations. Looking at James chapter 1 and looking at verse 12. Here he says, Blessed is a man who endures temptations. Endures the idea that he is able to, or he or she is able to make it through those difficult times. Endurance means that you did not give in, but you made it through. Someone who endures a marathon, that's not me, but someone who endures a marathon, they endure it, that is, they have the idea that they have finished it, they have completed it, right? So to, to endure temptation means you have gotten through that time of temptation. It does not include the idea of giving in. He says, For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Again, the crown of life, a reference to the reward waiting for the faithful, eternal life with God, which the Lord has promised to, again, notice, to those who love him. It's not exclusive to Paul. It's for everyone who has obeyed the gospel and has continued to obey it, that is, obedience, Revelation 2, verse 10, even unto death, Revelation 2 and verse 10. So the faithful servant will serve regardless of persecutions. The faithful servant will serve in the face of temptations. And the faithful servant will serve regardless of discouragements. Is there anything today that might make you discouraged? That's easy to find, isn't it? I mean, we, we want to find something to get upset about. We can do that in about 30 seconds, maybe even faster. We can find some way to discourage ourselves by we'll seeing what's on television, what's on the news, what we hear people talking about among us, we hear people acting, we see people acting like, see what their focus is. We become discouraged pretty quickly. But look at Galatians 6 and verse 9. Again, we want to be faithful regardless of discouragements. Galatians 6 and verse 9, again, the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now he's talking about in context, trying to reach the world around him for Christ. But today also that also is included in that, no doubt. But also if we will remain faithful to God, we too will have a reward for our own faithfulness as well. Let's not grow weary while, now notice, the condition is what? While doing good. If we are doing things which are not pleasing the sight of God, then I'm not too concerned about you getting weary. Because weariness and sin should drive us to come back to God or come to God for the first time. We find here in verse 9, he says, Let's not grow weary while doing good. Don't give up while you're doing what is pleasing to God. Don't give up while you're trying to remain faithful to God while you're trying to find the truth and while you're trying to reach out to others with the gospel, he says, do not give up, right? Do not grow weary while doing good. He says, for in due season, which means what? In time, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now again, in context, he's talking more about reaching out to the lost. But today, we know this also, we can also apply this without going against the word of God that we will have heaven as our home if we too will not lose heart. If we too remain faithful to God, we can have heaven as our home. So the faithful servant must remain faithful to God regardless of persecutions, even in the face of temptations, and regardless of discouragements. The fellow servant can also be translated 
as, as a fellow bond slave. The servant of the Lord is a slave to a righteousness and not a slave to the world. Now, it's not slave like what we think about today in 2021, but it's the idea of a servant of God. He is, everything he does, he does, he or she does it for God. The Apostle Paul talks about how it's no longer he who lives, but Christ lives in him. In life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is he talking about in that verse? Being a bond slave to Christ. And so a fellow servant can also be translated a bond slave, as you find there in Colossians 4, verse 7 and following. He says, a fellow servant in the Lord, uh, there in verse 7, who will tell you all the news about me. He goes on to talk about there in verse 9, Onismus, there in Colossians 4, verse 9, a faithful and beloved brother. Verse 10, he mentions another fellow prisoner who greets you. Then he mentions Mark, the cousin of, of Barabbas. Uh, he comes to you, he talks about how they should welcome him. He mentions their justice there in verse 11 in Colossians 4, those who are fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are the circumcision, those who prove to be a comfort to me. We mentioned there in verse 12, another bond servant Christ who greets them, who is laboring fervently for you in, in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in, in the will of God. Verse 13 he says, For I bear him witness that he is a great, for he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are, who, who are in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greets you. Again, he mentions numerous people who are what? Fellow servants of his. Those who are bond slaves to God, and the idea that they are loyal to God. The servant of the Lord is a slave to righteousness and not a slave to the world, that is, to sin. We are slaves of Christ because he has bought us, that is, he has redeemed us from the world of sin. Being enslaved to Christ means genuine freedom. Galatians 5 and verse 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. How are we free by Christ? Well, Christ tells us there in the gospel accounts, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He also tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. What is he talking about there? The truth of the gospel, the truth of obeying him and having heaven as our home, and how only through Christ, that is only by following his commands, can we have heaven as our home. Here again, Paul reminds us of the same fact in Galatians 5, verse 1, when he says, Stand fast, that is what? Be faithful, don't give up, don't give in. That's the idea there. Stand fast. Therefore, he says, In the liberty by which Christ has made us free. The liberty is what? Freedom from sin, liberty, we are liberated sometimes we say from sin and the bondage that comes from sin and also the high price that comes from sin, right? Remember Paul tells us about sin there in the book of Romans, he tells us for all of sin falling short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Here in Galatians 5 verse 1 he says, And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now in reference, you can apply this, how there were some there in Galatians who were wanting to go back to the old law, we would say the law of Moses, and follow after the law of Moses. And he calls it there the yoke of bondage. But sin can be viewed in the same way, can it? It also can bring us under bondage. It can entrap us, can ensnare us, and if we're not careful, it can become very difficult to get out of. You ever had a vehicle get stuck in mud or anything? There was a couple of weeks ago, I guess more than that, I had a late soccer practice. I was backing up. I didn't see the support line coming down from a light pole. 
and got stuck behind the bumper of my truck, and I didn't go anywhere until I did some moving. I was, in a form, stuck. I was under bondage until I got the thing out, right? Sin is the same thing. You can rev, you can push as hard as you want, but until you get it out from keeping you pulled back, until you climb up out, you're not going anywhere. David talks about the same thing there in the book of Psalms. Now, he has fallen deep into the mire of sin, and, and it was only God who could pull him out. And so we too can be entangled in sin, but freedom, liberty, is in Christ. And we find that through obedience to the gospel. Some lessons for us to think about today. We need good and righteous examples. And I would tell you, don't look to any politician. I don't care who it is. It doesn't really matter. Don't look to any politician for a good example of anything. Don't look to worldly people, those who are in Hollywood. Don't look to them. Don't look to musicians. Don't look to, to all these other individuals we find on television. They're so readily available at their fingertips. We look to God, and we find examples of godly men and women in the Bible. Godly examples. We need good and righteous examples. Godly examples are to be followed. We look at 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. What does the Apostle Paul say? Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. The condition is what? As long as I follow Christ, you can follow my example, right? But only the condition is what? Just as I imitate Christ. That's the condition. It means if he's not following after Christ, you think, he want, you think you should be imitating him? Well, no. But we imitate him or we follow his example just as he also did what? He imitated or followed Christ. Godly examples are godly because they follow the teachings of God and, and are set, they're set forth. And they also follow a pattern of good works. Looking at Titus chapter 2, looking at verse 7. He says, In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reference, uh, reverence, and incorruptibility. Now notice there he says, In all things, show yourself to be a pattern of good works. And he goes on to give some examples of that, right? To be a pattern. What do we do with patterns? We follow them, right? And when we don't follow, you know, if you're a seamstress and you have a pattern, what happens if you don't follow it exactly? You think it's going to line up and you're done? I'm not a seamstress. I'm not a person who sews at all. But I can tell you it's not going to work out very well. It's like having a, a manual, a repair manual for your vehicle, saying, well, I like this page. It looks really hard. I'm going to pour it out, pull it out, and I'll follow everything else. Can we expect that thing to work? I don't want to follow or use the mechanic who uses a repair manual that has missing pages that he doesn't like. This requires a lot of hard work. I'm turning that one out. Should we expect it to work afterwards? Well, no. The same thing for us today. If we pull out, we ignore things that are difficult for us to do to require some true change and some true self-examination, can we expect really to be acceptable in the sight of God? Look there again at verse 7. He says, In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. For example, he gives in doctrine, which is teaching, Showing integrity, which means he doesn't change it, right? Reverence, incorruptibility, and he goes on and on there in verse 8 and following. Godly examples are godly because they follow God's teachings and they, are, they follow the pattern set forth in the Bible. We can learn from the lives of others. And no doubt there are men and women who have gone before us who are good examples of godly, or godly people, those who love the Lord. But the best examples are always going to come from the Bible. 
One being, and of course we'll talk about Christ in a moment, but one being the life of the Apostle Paul is one that we can look, look to. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, what he say? Imitate me just as I imitate Christ, which is again what? Only if I imitate Christ. He was a man of trust. He was also a beloved brother. He also was a faithful minister. He also was enslaved to Christ, that is, he was following God's word. Why do you think he had so many who were faithful servants of his? If you want to use that term, of his. Because they knew he was a faithful, loyal brother. They also saw his faithfulness to God. Because what was Paul trying to do the whole time he was in prison? Trying to help the brethren stay strong and trying to bring others to Christ. That's what he was trying to do. So no wonder he had men, we find there in Colossians 4, verse 7 and following, who were helping him. Because look what he was doing. It was a noble and just cause. He was doing it in a way that was pleasing to God. Why would they not help him? You think they also knew why he was in prison in the first place? Because he was preaching the gospel. They knew that's why he was there. If you go back to the book of Acts, chapter 24, we also know that Paul was placed in prison by Felix. And we remember in that, in that context in Acts 24 that Felix actually called for Paul because he wanted to hear what he had to say. Then when he got done, he said, when I convenient time, I'll call for you, verse 25. We continue on, you find there that Felix actually left Paul in prison as a favor to the Jews. He was in prison, why? Because people didn't like his message, specifically leaders of that time. Why were other individuals trying to help Paul? Because he was a godly man to be looked up to. But let's also be clear, there is no greater example than that we have from Christ. There's no greater example than that we have from Christ. His teaching, his determination, his love for others, and also his ability, as we know, also to help those who, had, who were in need of great compassion. Just as Paul imitated Christ, we too can follow, follow in the steps of Christ. Think about this for a moment. If you look at 1 John chapter 2, looking at verse 6, it says, he who, abi- he who says he abides in him, that is, he who says he abides in Christ, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. That's a very big statement, isn't it? Because think real carefully about what he's saying. He who says he abides in him, that we, we can say today, he who says he's a Christian, ought himself also to walk, we might say to live, because that's what he's talking about, to live just as he lived or walked, right? What, how did Christ walk or live, because that's what he's talking about, the idea of walking is living. How did he live before God on the earth? The Bible tells us, when he was, I was on the Mount of Transfiguration, how did God refer to Christ? This is my blood son, whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. In whom I am well pleased. He was pleased with what Christ had done. He was pleased with what Christ was going to be doing. When Christ went to the Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed to, prayed to God those, those several times we have there mentioned. And He prayed to God that his, the, the cup might pass from Him because, let's be honest, the scourging and the crucifixion, not something He looked forward to. But He did it anyways, the Bible tells us, so that we may have the forgiveness of our sins in heaven as our home. Because if Christ did not go to the cross, we would have no hope of salvation. We'd have no hope of heaven. The hope of, of the remittance of sin would be gone. It would be gone. 
So why did Christ go to the cross? Because he loves mankind, John 3, verse 16. But as we think about our fellow laborers in the Lord, we too want to be fellow laborers, but we want to be, most importantly, a fellow laborer of the Lord. We want to be one who, as Christ also tells us there in the Gospel accounts, from the day of judgment, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Remember that? He talks about the judgment day. He says, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not promised on your name and done many wonderful works in your name? And he tells them, depart from me, for I never knew you, right? But we want to hear what? The next phrase. But those who come to him who have what? Who obeyed the gospel, remain loyal to him, will hear what? Enter into the what? The joy of your Lord. And you hear the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. Because that good and faithful servant is the one who has walked, as John mentions here in 1 John 2, just as he walked. We have lived our lives in a way that is pleasing to him, not as what we think is pleasing to God, but we look at the Word of God, we open it up and we see, I need to change things, and we're not scared away by it. We see what God requires of us, and we make those changes, right? Remember we talked about earlier that mold the mold doesn't change. We change. The dough changes. Our lives change. That's how we get to have heaven as our home because we see what God requires of us and we say, I'm going to do that even if it gets uncomfortable for me. Because, friends, think about the Apostle Paul. I think he was very comfortable in prison when he wrote all those letters. I don't think so. John, when he wrote the book of Revelation, was on the island of Patmos because he was literally exiled. He was literally kicked out of his country because of what he was doing. Well, let's get more serious. You think he was comfortable on the cross? The nails in your hands and your feet? The Bible tells us why he went there. And to remind us of why we do what we want, why we do what we should be doing, following God. Because heaven is worth it, isn't it? That should be a very simple question to ask. Is heaven worth being faithful to God? Is it worth making changes? It's worth the possibility of having others get upset with us because we no longer do some things we used to do or maybe we no longer attend or we used to attend because we have obeyed the gospel. See, becoming a Christian is not always comfortable. You think about Saul in the road to Damascus. The Bible tells us he met Christ in the road to Damascus and he was blind by the glory of Christ. And Christ speaks to him. And Paul responds, you know, uh, basically Paul responds to him and the Lord responds back and says, it's hard for you to kick against the goals, which means it's hard for you to deny that I'm the Son of God. Now that's how I rephrase that. Because that's what he's talking about. And he was told to go to, to, to a street and, remain, and wait for Ananias, and there he'd be told what he must do, right? You think Paul was uncomfortable during any of that? Three days, the Bible tells us there how he was without sight. He, ate, he neither ate nor drank anything. And after his conversion, after he obeyed the gospel, because it wasn't on the road to Damascus, is when Ananias came and told him what he must do, right? Remember, that's what the Lord told Ananias, right? Go to this city called Straight, and there you'll find Saul of Tarsus waiting. A man who even in eyes feared because, until this point, Saul was carrying people off into prison, right? He was there when Stephen was stoned to death. He was holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. Saul was not a guy he played around with. But after he was converted, after he heard the words of Ananias, and Ananias tells him, Now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. And wash away your sins, calling in the Lord. He called in the Lord through obedience to the gospel, didn't he? And then he became a new creature in Christ, as he also talks about there in the book of Romans, chapter 6. 
You could say within a period of several, within at least, if you want to use a big time frame, I think it's less than this, a few days, that Paul had people who, before his name was changed, Saul, he had people who hated him after his, after his obedience to the gospel, didn't he? The Bible tells us he would be left down in the basket through a hole in the wall because the Jews were already looking to kill him. You think that, you think that was comfortable for Paul? Those who, who once were his companions now, they wanted him to die because of what he had done. Friends, there's nothing too difficult when it comes to obeying the gospel, and the reward is so great that how can we possibly not obey? This morning, think about these things. Think about what God requires of us. You think about what the Lord offers us. The Bible tells us we hear the word of God, we repent of our sins, we hear the word of God, we believe the word of God, we believe that Christ is the Son of God, based upon what we have heard. We repent of our sins, we confess Christ, we are immersed in baptism, Acts 2, 38. We're placed in the body of Christ, Galatians 3, verse 27. And then we remain faithful to God, right? Faithful unto death, Revelation 2, 10, John 14, 15. Then we can have heaven as our home, and then we can, can be, become a faithful servant of the Lord who will serve Him until the very end. This morning, we can help you in any way and come forward now. It's going to be said and sing the song that's been selected.